Lord, help us as we pray. Father, your work in this world and in our lives is wonderful to consider. It brings us delight to study the way your grace and your mercy fill us and make us into a new creation in the midst of a world filled with destruction. When we confess our sin and our need for you, you forgive us, and through that forgiveness, we are able to restore broken relationships in our lives. We can forgive and accept forgiveness from one another in a way that confounds the world and brings glory to your name. Lord, help us to forgive one another the way you have forgiven us. We delight to study the way that you are compassionate to us when we are suffering. When our days are dark and our nights are sleepless, you meet us in a unique way. Your presence is sweet to those who turn to you in the time of suffering. And Lord, we delight in the knowledge that you are seated on high. And though our enemies run amuck now, you will triumph over all of them. Father, our hearts are broken and weary from the violence running through the world around us. And our hearts are broken and weary from the same brokenness that comes from the same root that runs through our hearts. We need your forgiveness. We have no hope in ourselves. So collectively, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Instead of being caught up in your flood of righteousness and justice, we've been caught up in and participated with the world's flood of selfishness and rebellion. We've fallen for the world's idolatry of self. Instead of marveling at your truth and submitting ourselves to it, we've fallen for the call to worship the idol of the false truth of personal experience. Lord, deliver us from the temptation to be delivered by other gospels. Through your Son, pardon and forgive all of the sins, iniquities, and trespasses we have ever committed against you. There is no other name on heaven or in earth that can deliver us from the slavery to sin. Our salvation lies in the hands of your steadfast love. Father, we're thankful that whatever state we're in this morning, your hands are extended to us. If we feel weak, you offer your strength to us in the face of our trials. If we are feeling alone, you offer a community that you crafted in love for us to be a part of. If we are confused, you offer timeless and supernatural wisdom. If we are filled with worry, you offer peace outside of our understanding. And if we are hardened to your kingship, you offer to bring us to the end of ourselves so we can have no God but you. Have mercy on all of us this morning and give us eyes that see and ears that hear as your word is proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Open your Bibles to Daniel 9, if you would. Praise God for an amazing time of worship to prepare our hearts to hear his word. In the early spring of 1863, our country was in a state of division like none we'd seen before. Just six months earlier, the civil war between American citizens had produced its most fatal single day at the Battle of Antietam, where 22,717 people lost their lives. Just a few months later from that, President Abraham Lincoln would issue the Emancipation Proclamation that set all slaves in the Union free. The Civil War, at this point, was now at its midpoint and its height. So, feeling the weight and severity of the problem plaguing the nation, the nation that he was leading, 
President Lincoln introduced a resolution to Congress to set apart a day of national prayer and fasting and purposeful self-humiliation to seek the intervention of God in the midst of all that was occurring. I want to read to you from the beginning of that resolution. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God, in all the affairs of men and of nations, has, by a resolution, requested the President to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations, as well as of men, to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people? We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in number, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. That's a leader. That's a president. I wondered, your brothers and sisters, what those same forebears might say with regards to the godlessness of our current society and the need we have for humiliation, humble prayer, and confession. The last portion of the resolution begins with the line, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high. And so this morning, as we look at those divine teachings, as we look specifically at Daniel 9, we will see a similar prayer offered on behalf of the people of God coming from the mouth of Daniel the prophet as he gives a similar prayer on behalf of a people that have forgotten God. A prayer on behalf of a people that have forgotten God. And in this prayer, we will see three main sections. First, we will see that the conviction from reading God's word led Daniel to prayer and that it should do the same to us. Secondly, we will see Daniel's prayer of confession and its parallels in our current society. And third, we will see Daniel's prayer of repentance and petition to God 
based upon God's merciful character. So let's begin by reading just the first few verses there in Daniel 9. It says, In the first year of Darius the son of Hazuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. We are here introduced to the timing, the setting, and motivation behind Daniel's prayer, which we're about to get into. And this first section should help us to observe the principle that the conviction of God's word should lead us to prayer. The conviction of God's word should lead us to prayer. Daniel gives us the timeline for the context, and we find ourselves somewhere close to the events of Daniel in the lion's den and after the handwriting on the wall and the vision of chapter 8. The Medes and the Persians have conquered Babylon, and Daniel now finds himself, probably near around 80 years old or so, at the service of the new kingdom led by Cyrus the Great. Now, Darius, here referred to in the first verse, is another uh, name for Cyrus, or one who was a governor of just the section in which Babylon existed. We're not totally sure. But Daniel is reading what he calls the books, or a more wooden translation is the writings. And he specifically is reading the number of years that, according to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before Jerusalem no longer lies in ruins, namely 70 years. And Daniel is reading through the scrolls of Jeremiah the prophet that had been given to the elders of Israel that were in exile there in Babylon. He was trying to find out when this time of exile would come to an end and when Jerusalem would be restored. It's a valid question for a prophet who's been receiving visions from God himself about the fall of kingdoms and when the king of, uh, of heaven himself would be anointed and reign. In other words, Daniel is reading scripture and notice what it does to him as he reads it. It prompts him to turn to the Lord in prayer. And he responds with fasting and a stance of repentance and mourning in sackcloth and ashes. Now, let's first understand, though, what it was that he was reading in Jeremiah. Jeremiah had prophesied a generation earlier, and he did so all the way up until the fall of Jerusalem, so a generation earlier than Daniel. And this is one of the few points where one biblical author specifically cites or notes that they were reading another biblical author, and so this is pretty important for us to understand. The reference to the 70 years gives us a hint of where he was reading. So why don't you turn there with me to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25. And as you're turning to Jeremiah 25, remember that the old covenant was given to Israel in the form of a treaty that was very common for the ancient Near East peoples. It's uncommon for us. We get confused about it. But in the ancient Near East, conquering kings and their vassals or their subjects would get into a treaty, and this was well known. Many of you might remember this from when we covered it in Deuteronomy. It was structured in a way that had expectations for how the people would respond to the reign of the conquering king. In the case of Israel, God Almighty is the king and they are his subjects. In the case of us, in the new covenant, God Almighty, in the form of Jesus Christ, is our conquering king and we are his subjects. 
And so in those treaties was a set of expectations and laws for obedience to the king. And almost always after those were presented was a set of rewards given for obeying the stipulations and a set of curses for disobeying. One of the curses given to Israel for disobedience was that they would be exiled. Here's an example of that in Deuteronomy 28:36. It says, The Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. This is, this is a curse that will occur for disobedience. But by the time the prophet Jeremiah comes around, there where you're sitting in Jeremiah 25, Israel had been warned again and again and again about their disobedience, and Jeremiah had the wonderful job description to come and tell them that they were done for. How'd you like that job? I want to be the prophet at the front end saying, hey guys, there's still time to repent, go ahead and repent, you know, y'all shower me with love because there's time to repent. Jeremiah gets to come along and say, yeah, you're done, you're going into exile, and it's because you're disobedient. So there in Jeremiah 25, he's saying, because he's sent to do so, he's declaring to them that it's now time for the discipline of God to come upon them. Let's take a look there in Jeremiah 25, starting in verse 4. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent you all his servants and prophets, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, and remember that's a phrase that means the general of the armies of heaven. This is, this is about to lay down the law, basically. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. In other words, friends, he will shut down the society. Does that ring any bells for us? He will shut down, close down the society. The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Then just a few chapters later, in Jeremiah 29, we read the letter sent to the elders of Israel in exile. Go ahead and turn there. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. And you might recall that this is the letter that tells them, says to the Israelites, get situated, guys. You're going to be here a while. Seek the welfare of the city that you're in. And so in that letter, Jeremiah says this in 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Notice this is in the context of exile, not your high school graduation. Verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, these are all stated prior to the people of Judah, including Daniel and his friends, getting taken off into exile around the year 605 B.C., and here in Daniel chapter 9, where we sit, we are in Darius's first year of reign, around 539 B.C., almost 70 years later. And so it would make sense that Daniel is saying, are we there yet? Have we gotten to the place where Jerusalem's going to be restored? Daniel was reading the covenant that God had with his people. He was seeing the fact that they had not obeyed God. That God was faithful in bringing discipline to his people, and that God was ready and willing to accept repentance and confession. And it was in reading the word of God that Daniel was brought to his knees in prayer. Now, it is my experience and perception that the church at large, and we as individuals need to ask why our prayer lives are so non-existent and weak. And what I suggest to you is that at least a large part of it is because our time in the Word and serious study of the Word is completely lacking. Time in God's Word does two things. It helps us see God's character in amazing glory, and it humbles our pride. And when the two mix together, we are brought to our knees in prayer. When we see God's holiness and goodness his patience and his endurance, when we see his just nature, man, it should bring us to a place of adoration, statements of deep love and respect and worship. When we are reminded of his character, it causes praise to come to our lips for who he is, that he alone is the source of truth and good and life. And when we're reminded of all that he has done in spite of my rebellion and your rebellion, in spite of our hatred towards him, it causes us to erupt in thanksgiving for his salvation, mercy, and grace. Can I get an amen? amen. When we see ourselves rightly through the word, all the lies of the devil are made clear. Not only can we see the Lord clearly, but we can see ourselves clearly in all the lies of the enemy. We can see that we believe the lie that we are self-sufficient, that we can give ourselves life through self-esteem and self-promotion and everything else that begins with self. God's word helps us realize instead the truth that we are people broken beyond the ability to repair ourselves. We are a people that quickly believe any lie fed our way that will elevate us and will bring or down or remove the authority of God. And when we get in the word, we see these truths, and that causes us to pour out our prayers of confession of where we have fallen short and statements of repentance. When scripture declares the brokenness of mankind, 
that has never and will never get better, no matter how much we lie to ourselves that we can be our own solution, then we fall to our knees and cry out and lament, expressing our horror that this world is not yet aligned with God's design. And then we are brought to conviction about our personal part in the madness and chaos around us, whether that be by way of commission or simply by omission of taking on responsibility or fighting against the lies. We will find ourselves interceding in the midst of this on behalf of all those around us. You see, friends, truly digging into the word of God will bring forth all the various kinds of prayer that I've just mentioned. Adoration, praise, thanksgiving, individual and communal confession and repentance, lament, intercession, and petition. But friends, as with anything else, these kinds of prayers will not come out of our own power. They come as the Spirit gives us utterance as we pour over the word that he inspired, as we pour over God's truth as Daniel did. The conviction of God's word should lead us to our knees in prayer, and we are poor in prayer because we are poor in seeking God's word. Brothers and sisters, get convicted today that we need to be in the habit of praying with our Bible open as we're on our knees. And as you read through, let the conviction of God's word lead you to prayer because this world needs it. We need it. Doing so, looking at God's word, caused Daniel to turn his face to the Lord God and seek him in prayer and give pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. If you don't know anything about fasting, there is an awesome blog on our church blog written by one of our brothers, Larry Grine, from a few months ago. I would highly encourage you to go read it as well. Daniel's reading of scripture led him to prayer and fasting. Mission Fellowship, are we a people that do the same? And when we pray, are we purposeful in how we pray? And using all these various kinds of prayer, we need to be. Because the world needs it. We need it. Well, then we begin to dive in. If you go back to Daniel 9, we begin to dive into the actual prayer that is brought up out of Daniel's reading of the word. And it's broken into two main sections. The first section is a prayer of confession, where Daniel states, we have sinned and turned aside from God's command prayer of confession. We have sinned and turned aside from God's commands. Let's take a look there at Daniel 9, starting in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame as at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away. 
in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. We see Daniel remind himself of who God is. He starts with praise of God for his character. And we're going to return to that in the second part of the prayer. But then he moves into a prayer of confession. And notice that he breaks it down into a handful of confessions that he cycles through multiple times. And as we work through these, friends, you will notice that I purposefully go in and out of speaking about Israel and speaking about ourselves because the connections are too parallel to miss. So friends, buckle up your safety belts. We're in for a very bumpy ride. As they say in the King James, gird up your loins and make your heart soft to hearing God's pleading that we're about to go through. First, Daniel contrasts the holiness and righteousness of God with the fact that Israel has sinned. The Hebrew word here means to miss the mark of God's desire for what the lives of his people are to be in holiness in order to reflect him to a world that needs to see him. Rather than image his glory, Israel decided to do whatever they wanted for their own vainglory. The church is just as guilty as Israel in this. Rather than bringing our lives into submission to Christ and all he commands, we have made his word about our comfort rather than our obedience. We have turned the created order onto its head and asked how God can serve us rather than how we can serve God in response to the salvation he has purchased by the cross. God forgive us. Secondly, Daniel states that they had done wrong. This refers to the twisting of something that was once straight. It means perverting truth and turning it into lies. Rather than following God's commands for righteousness in our society, our society has taken God's design and twisted it so that we've made ourselves gods who define good and evil, right and wrong. In the church, we are the caretakers and protectors of marriage, of family, of children, and of the unborn. But rather than stand firm in proclaiming God's truth in regards to gender and sexuality and marriage and the protection of the unborn, many in the church applaud as the world infiltrates the church and perverts and twists the obvious truth of God on these topics into lies 
that are beyond recognition of God's original design. God's word has always declared that the world would persist in perverting God's truth, but we in the church bear the guilt because it is we who were tasked with proclaiming and protecting that truth. God, forgive us. Third, Daniel states that they have acted wickedly. God is, righteousness, is righteous and merciful, but we are wicked. And the Hebrew word here speaks to not just wrong action, but a hostility to one another. Within the very community that was intended to declare God's actions by their just and loving treatment of one another. As a pastor, the amount of division I see in the church, mixed with a complete blindness to seeing how our pride harms others, ruins our witness, it just breaks my heart. In our emotion and pride, we become justifiers of ourselves and of our harm and abandonment of one another. Friends, the gospel truth is That without Christ, the one who laid down his life for us when we didn't deserve it, we would have no justification at all. But in our self-protection and pride in the midst of conflict with one another about whatever topic it might be, we become self-justifiers without need of a justifying Savior. Justice for self outranks the need for sacrifice in the midst of conflict so that the justice of God might be proclaimed. God, forgive us. And I see this between spouses and parents and children and roommates. God, forgive us for not being able to lay down ourselves for the sake of his witness. Fourth, Daniel says that they have rebelled. This has implied within it the idea of broken covenant that God had given Israel a covenant in which they verbalized and agreed upon terms of relationship. And yet, Israel knowingly and purposefully refused to abide in faithfulness to that covenant. You and I, dear brothers and sisters, know what this is like, don't we? We again justify ourselves and our own actions in disobedience because we have set ourselves up as the lawgivers and the final authority. We live in a society where the solution to any singular bad authority is to remove all authority. Chaos and anarchy are the desires of our day. And rather than be those who point the world around us to a need for good, godly, accountable authority, we join in with the chance for chaos. Calls for accountability, dear friends, are godly calls for the removal of authority is anti-Christ. For he is the ultimate authority. And to remove all authority rather than calling for authority that reflects him is to side with the chaos maker, the very adversary of God who was the first voice in the created realm calling for anarchy. God forgive us. Fifth, Daniel states that Judah had turned aside from the commands and rules, refusing to obey God. Within the church, I see feelings outweigh obedience as the motivating factor in whether or not we obey God's commands. 
So many are wanting to feel like they should obey before they obey. But any of us that are parents know that this is a sign of immaturity at best or blatant rebellion at worst. Obedience is a choice in spite of our feelings, not something that is beholden to them. God, forgive us for refusing to obey you in the things that we know to be true. Sixth, Daniel says that they had not listened to God's prophets. Over and over from the garden to Moses to the wilderness wanderings to the judges and the kings, the story of Israel is the story of humanity, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, that their personal experience is truth. We desire to have no one, including God, rule over us or hold us to account. Judah wanted to be their own mini-gods, and we are no different and notice that he also points out that the rulers of the people specifically did not heed God's word. And here we stand with a previous and current president that speak with their lips that they are believers of God, while their pride, policies, and actions speak a completely different truth. And at the local and state level, any mention of God is nowhere to be found. Meanwhile, we hold in our hands the divine word of God the will of God that, if practiced, will lead to peace with God and peace with man. But instead of reading it, we flood ourselves with social media, podcasts, and news feeds that pervert truth and sow division. God, forgive us for not listening to your truth. Seventh, Daniel speaks of their treachery. This means to act unfaithfully in a knowing manner. It is to enter into covenant with the knowledge and intent that you will not keep that covenant. Our society has become one that rejoices in wrongdoing, and when caught, we no longer feign apology or conviction. Now our society simply lies proudly. Friends, we instead must be a people that hold our word, our promise, and our vows in high accord. We need to each check our hearts in our covenants of marriage and the covenant of membership in this church to see if we have entered them in apathy or if we are holding ourselves accountable to the weighty responsible responsibility they each carry. Or are we waiting to find a loophole where we can let go of our word? But most importantly, we need to check to see if we have entered a relationship with God in a half-hearted way with no intention of pursuing obedience to his commands, simply hoping that his grace will cover our ongoing, unrepentant rebellion. God, forgive us. God, forgive me for our treachery. Because of these sins and transgressions that Daniel confesses, he states clearly that the curse and oath as written in the law of Moses was poured out Specifically, Judah had refused to obey God's commands for Sabbath years, in which they would free the enslaved among them, forgive the debts of one another, and let the land rest every seven years. But no, their economic gain was too important to them. And so God's wrath comes in the form of exile. One year for every disobeyed Sabbath year. He says this in the midst of his covenant with Israel, Take a look at Leviticus 26, 33 through 35. He says, I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheath the sword. Is that not heavy? 
unsheathed the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths, as long as it lies desolate, while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. This was God's promise and covenant, and yet in their pride, they thought God's loving and just discipline would never come. But then 2 Chronicles 36 records its fulfillment as the Babylonians came upon them, and they, the Babylonians, burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years." Friends, we would do well to recognize that we need to confess the same sins, that we as a nation have taken part in the same arrogance that we think that we can sin as a nation ongoing and not have the wrath of God poured out upon us. The entirety of the Bible declares that if mankind does not repent to God, his wrath will be poured out in giving us over to our beastly, sinful, selfish natures. And that, dear friends, is what we are seeing in our society today. 54 mass shootings in one month. God's wrath is being poured out on our nation. He is giving us over to our sin. He is giving us over to our sinful desire for chaos and for his absence. If as a society we continue to wish for God to go away, he is a perfect gentleman and he will do so and I fear that he already has with our society. Even then, Daniel states that when the wrath has been poured out, God's people, even then, failed to return to him, nor entreat the favor of God, nor repent or gain insight by his truth. I hear many today lamenting the direction of our world, our country, and our society, but rather than fall on our knees in prayer, passionately turning to God and his word, and repenting of the sins we each have committed, I sense a growing fatalism, and friends, that is even a confession from myself, where we say it is what it is. God, forgive me for my apathy. God, forgive us for our apathy. Friends, it is not the cultural norm to tear our garments or pour ashes on our head and wail in sadness, but this prayer of confession in which Daniel proclaims that Judah had sinned and turned aside from God's commands is one that should break our hearts and bring us to our knees and motivate us to similar prayer of confession and repentance. Notice also that Daniel is praying here not just a confession of his own sin, but in confession on behalf of his people. Friends, when we pray, we have no end of things to confess on behalf of our country and the church. Our country has in its past and present the dehumanization that shows itself in the buying and selling of image bearers of God as if they were property. God forgive us. And whether that be the legalized slavery of our past or the illegal human trafficking that occurs now to prop up the sexual sin of many as they look at pornography, it is all wickedness, heinous in the sight of God. 
God, forgive us. And then, as we speak today, dehumanization continues as the plague of abortion rolls on unabated in our country with almost 63 million babies aborted since 1973. 544 plus thousand, last time I looked, people have died from COVID, and all of us are willing to wear masks. 63 million babies have died. What are we willing to do about abortion? Our country, for all the good it has done around the world, is also the country that has produced more pornography than any other nation in the history of our world. Our country, for all the economic prosperity it has brought to many, has also been a greedy locust that has cared more about its religious system of capitalism than the content of its character. The few get wealthier and wealthier while the middle class is destroyed and the poor become further trapped in debt. In all of this, we are a country and a people defined by sin. God, forgive us. And so we need to be a people of prayer confessing our sins and the sins of our nation to a holy God and on their, on our behalf, asking God for his righteous forgiveness. If we do this, dear friends, then we need not stop at the prayer of confession. We can also follow Daniel's lead in offering a prayer of petition. God, be merciful and forgiving to those that repent. Let's read Daniel 9, 15 through 19. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Brothers and sisters, notice that Daniel, throughout the prayer of confession, refers to God's good character. That he is a God faithful to his covenant that is based on steadfast and abounding love. That not only is his God, our God, righteous, but that righteousness belongs to him. It says that right there in verse 7. There is no righteousness outside of God. We can do as many random acts of kindness as we want as a society. It is not righteousness. God alone has righteousness that belongs to him. 
Also, verse 9 says, mercy and forgiveness, they belong to him because he alone is the judge. That God is the one that freed his people in his grace. And that he is the loving father giving out discipline to those that he loves. Daniel weaves these truths throughout his prayer of confession. He then recalls God's righteous nature and acts and begs him according to his acts there in verse 16 for the sake of his, God's, witness among the nations. And he finishes with the statement that we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. There's some gospel truth. Friends, our society that desires to pervert the truth of God would have us believe that a God who pours out wrath and anger is a mean and authoritarian God who doesn't respect our innate value. But that has more to do with our pathology and our history with bad parental and authority figures than it has anything to do with God. Because this is a lie. The truth is, is that without God, we have no innate value because he is the one that gives us life and breath. It is in his image that we show kindness to one another. It is when we follow him and obey his law that we are worthy of respect. And he has been nothing but merciful in spite of our horrific rebellion and apathy. For we see in the very nature of that same old covenant in which he promised discipline for rebellion that he was already paving the way for grace and mercy. In our earlier reading that Dave read to us, we heard King Solomon's closing to his dedication of the temple in Jerusalem where he called the people to follow God. I want you to listen to what Solomon states right before that, where God, through Solomon, the king that he had put in place, creates an avenue by which the people can confess and cry for God's mercy in 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm going to read you verses 46 through 53, and I just want you to sit and listen to the mercy and grace that was prepared for his people. Solomon said this, If they sin against you, God, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive. Remember, guys, this is before the exile. So that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive, and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you, and all their transgressions that they have committed against you. And grant them compassion in the sight of those who have carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be opened to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. And so, in Daniel 9, we see Daniel acting on behalf of the people 
as a mediator between a sinful people and a merciful God, crying out to God, asking God to hear their confession, forgive their sin, hear their cries, and act on their behalf. And you and I, dear friends, are to reflect Daniel in our prayers for our church, for our state, our city, our country, and world. Because you and I, while we might reflect Daniel, do not follow Daniel because we have been forgiven and saved by the greater than Daniel, Jesus Christ, the merciful. Who, when he was crucified on our behalf, cried to God on behalf of his executioners, on behalf of his murderers, and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Brothers and sisters, when you and I were rebels fully participating in every one of these confessed sins that we have gone through today, God reached out, drew us to himself, and forgave us of our sins. And he did so through his son paying the price for our sin by taking on the wrath that you and I deserve. And so today, each of us needs to, like Daniel, hear God's conviction through his word. Be humiliated so that we confess our own sins and the sins of our people and seek God's mercy and grace so that we might be changed and so that we might proclaim the truth of God to a world that is dying. We need to offer a prayer on behalf of a people that has forgotten God. Amen? Amen. We need to do this for his name's sake. God is ready and willing to hear you and our confession this morning. God loves you with a steadfast love that cannot be comprehended. And the moment that our heart is broken and we go to him in confession, the Bible is clear. If we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to make us his own. He wants to partner with us as a people to pray with this kind of fervency.